And uh, it's good to be here, eh? Isn't it good to be here? I think sometimes we take it for granted and we just like, oh, you know, I think when we came out of COVID, it was late, it was amazing. Hey, we together. And we're slowly getting back into just, not that it's a bad thing, but it's, oh, this is normal. And that is good, it's good, it's normal, but it's, it's, it's awesome to be together and to be able to do this. Um, and so I think we must really appreciate it and, and not, not just take it on as just another Sunday, but really invest in this. So I don't know, about, I don't know if you've ever been to home affairs before. Anyone here been to Home Affairs? <laughs> it was there Friday. Hey, shame. You can see the scars. <laughs> I think even just driving to Home Affairs is an ordeal. You know? um, but uh, I, I have to go to Home Affairs now and then just to dro- uh, drop off a marriage certificate now and then and all that. And, um, and I've noticed that when I'm there, where there's always two ways that we respond. And I notice how people respond and how I normally respond when I'm there. And I'm always praying on the way there, and I'm saying, Lord, let this be the day that I see my sanctification. Let this be the day that I see that I'm actually beginning to really grow. Um, because I just want, I want one day where I go in, and everything is nice, and I'm high-fiving the people, I get what I want, and I'm out in half an hour. Hey, We all want that. And so when I go in, I always walk in, not even walk in, I'm waiting at the door or the line, and I'm just like, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick to the rules today. Hey? I'm going to actually just do the normal thing. I'm not going to try and buck the system anyhow. I'm just going to stick to the rules. I'm going to wait in the line patiently. I'm going to go up to the desk. They're going to say, no, you must wait until you finish the line to go up to the desk. And then you wait, and then the person asks you, why are you waiting there? You should have gone to the desk, and then you go to the desk and eventually get a slip. Then they tell you to go into that corner, and then four years later, you, you're out of that corner, and they tell you you should have never stood in that corner, you should have gone and paid. You know, and, you, and you're sticking to the rules, and you're trying really hard to be nice, but there's always a limit. And then what happens is we shift to the other side of things. We, we, we let go of the rules because it's ruleless. There's nothing. You just see people coming in and getting things in five minutes, and you just, how did that person get in front of me? And we shift to next mode. And the next mode is I'm going to discover who I am. Hey? It's like I am going to find a system. I was, I'm not even lying. The other day, I went in, and I wanted to hand in a marriage certificate, and they said, go wait in this corner. And I waited there literally about 30, 30 minutes, and I saw this lady walking through this alleyway into this room. And then she thought, I'm just going to. And I went to knock on the door. How's it? She's like, oh, yeah, I can help you there. She grabs it, takes it, gone. I was like, what's going on here? But the point is, I, always we try, we try to take things into our own hands. I'm going to go into my own hands. And then we start moaning and we start shouting and we start saying, hey, why are you helping me here? What's happening? And we even get more caught up in the mess. Hey? Right? And these two ways of how we react at home affairs is actually, I think, the two ways of how we react in general, in life, when it comes to just, even when we talk about church, and I'm talking to people now that are following Jesus. If you don't follow Jesus, wait until a little bit later. But if you follow Jesus, this really should apply to you. Because once you begin to follow Jesus, there's always this question, this burning question, and it's a question that I'm, I keep on wanting to answer and helping people figure out. How do we behave? How should we behave? What should we do? What is the thing? How can I speed up this process? 
what should I do? Should I keep to the rules and pray, read the Bible, and have a quiet time? Da, da, da. And if I do all that, do I get it? And then I think if I did that, I would be better. Or we are on the other stream, we think I need to like discover myself. And if I discover myself and I figure out who I am and what I'm burdened to do and what my life is, is all about, then I will begin to understand how to behave. You know, the Enneagram and the disc and all those things are amazing. They're amazing. I love them. But sometimes we can use those self-discovery tips as ways of saying, if I can just figure out who I am, I will learn how to behave. Right? So we toy between these. We try to keep the rules for a while. It doesn't really work. And then we think if I just keep in the, kept, kept the rules, it would have worked. And then all we go into the other side and be like, if I just find out who I am, I'll figure this out. Does anyone agree with me? Hey, we're in that space. And we're jumping between all, all those two all the time, trying to figure out how do we do this? How do we do this? And this is, this is something I'm burdened about. This is something I'm really passionate about because it's one thing giving your life to Jesus, but it's another thing learning how to walk it out. It's so important that we learn how to walk it out because I think we spend so much of our time trying to figure out what to do that we never do anything. Hey? If I just knew what to do, if I just knew what to do, if I just knew the rules, or if I just knew myself, I would be able to figure out how to follow him more. And we find ourselves in these circles going on and on. And I'm speaking from my own experience, so I'm not, I'm not uh, challenging you too much here. But the question, the answer that Jesus keeps on giving over and over and over again is follow me. Follow me. That's how you do it, and that's what you do. You follow me. Right? And so today we're starting a new series on um, the Vineyard Values, and we're trying to help a lot of people have come and joined our church over the last season, and we're trying to just remind ourselves, what are the values that we at, at the Vineyard believe? What are some of the core things? And the first one today is worship. What is worship? And I think following Jesus, the question of how to behave and worship are all the exact same thing. Worship is not just instrumental. Worship, this is, this is a way... This is a vehicle of how to worship, but it's, this is not worship. Worship is your lifestyle, right? Worship is how I operate, how I connect with the Lord. Worship is what I need to do to follow Him. And so as we unpack this today, I want to help understand and have a look, look at trying to break free from this mindset of worship is just something that I do on a Sunday for half an hour, but worship is a lifestyle. And so when we understand how to behave, how to follow Jesus, we can understand how to worship properly. Does that make sense? And so Romans, I want to start with Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. It says, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of, of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. How's that? Then he carries on, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Worship is about becoming a living sacrifice. That's what Paul says. Worship 
is about becoming a living sacrifice. I think some of you just go over that, but living sacrifice. What is a living sacrifice? For some of you, it's here sitting listening to me right now. Huh? You're living, but you're sacrificing. Hurry up. Another example of living sacrifices, this is a really good one. Um, has anyone ever tried to put a baby to sleep? And when they wake up and you have to go try and lie with them, and you're lying there, you're a living sacrifice, eh? You're lying there, and, and as you're about to move, that arm comes, boom! And you're like, do not breathe. And you try to stop breathing. And even the sound of your hair moving wakes them up. You know? You're an absolute living sacrifice. That is what a living sacrifice is. If you don't have a baby, I'm sorry, one day you will remember this moment and you'll think, now I understand, David, what a living sacrifice is. It's you're lying there dead as everything. You're awake as anything. You want to do completely something else, but you are sacrificing your life. That is what a living sacrifice is. But what does Paul say is a living sacrifice? He breaks it down into two very simple things. He says a living sacrifice is a person who doesn't conform to this world and is someone who's being transformed by God. And so there are levels here today. And so if, if you're tired and it's, been, and it's cold and you, your mind is not there, there are ways that, places that you can start tapping out. This is the one place that you can, well, actually, living sacrifice, that is what worship is. You can tap out there. Another way you can tap out is just it's very simply, Worship and becoming a living sacrifice, living your life, how do I behave, is learning how to not conform to the world, and actually the world is you. you are, the world is in you. You are flesh. You, are, you want what the world has. So it's actually not conforming to yourself, but an allowing God to transform you. That is at the simplest form is what Paul is saying, what we need to do. That's what we need to do. How do I not allow myself to get in the way of basically allowing God to do whatever he wants with me, living sacrifice? That's the question. And it's so simple, I think we overcomplicate it, and it's very complicated as much as it is simple. But it's the case of just saying, it's actually God who transforms us. It's God who changes you. You do nothing. You do nothing of the transformation in your life. You do everything to make sure that you stand still. You do everything to not allow the world to conform you into its patterns. And so it's about, I'm not going to allow myself to do that. So there's effort involved, there's discipline involved. But the effort and the discipline actually just prevents you from running away and allows God to transform you. Very simple. And if you live, if that's it, if you just walk away, how do I not allow me to, to be conformed? How do I not allow me to run away from God? How do I allow the Lord to stay and allow Him to be transforming my life? That is how... We become a follower of Jesus. Those are the two questions we should be asking ourselves every single day. And so to unpack that more, what does that mean? How do we not allow ourselves to conform? And how do we allow Jesus to transform us? I want us to discuss, discuss that um, today. Why don't you turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. If you have a Bible today, I always say you get a free coffee. The physical Bible. Hey, just look at that. These are dying, eh? These are dinosaurs these days. But they, they're the best things because nothing can pop up. No apps. Eh? 
Another thing, no, that, no, Mary is inviting me for lunch. Wow, you know, that does, that's not part of my Bible. So this is the best thing. Amen. Hey, Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. We're going to break it down. And I, I, want, help, I want us to help see how Jesus breaks down this not conforming to the world, but being transformed. Verse 13, now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Okay, now that word now, verse 13, very, very important word. And if you unpack it, you understand it now, what it's talking about is that Jesus has been doing the miracles, he's been doing the stuff, he's been modeling himself, but now things begin to change. There's a whole shift in the way Jesus is doing stuff. There's a tone, there's a model, there's an action, there's a different way of living now. Now is the time for something to change. And so we read that and we see when Jesus starts asking, hey, who does Son of Man is? Who do you say I am? There is a, we should be honing in on this because Jesus is now beginning to summarize what it means to be a follower of Jesus what it means to be a worshiper of Jesus. This here, so it's like now, Jesus is like, okay, enough of the good stuff, now it's the serious stuff. Okay. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? There's a personal question there. Who do you say I am? And Peter answers, well, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one about this. So he asked Peter, who do you say I am? What is this? He says, you're the Christ. And for us, it's like, well, we understand it. But for, the, for that time, for those Israelites, the Christ was a prophetic promise of many, many years. So for him to admit that this is the Christ was a huge deal. Wow. And you can see how Jesus is ecstatic about this. Hey, he's been waiting, 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 waiting for this moment for 33 years. And you can see how he just goes on and on and on. It's like he couldn't keep it in. The moment he understood, Peter realized who Jesus was, things just began to unravel. Well, I just can't stop. I'm just going to tell you everything. Everything. It's like when a young person comes to me and he says, David, what's wrong with me? I get excited. I go, oh, finally, you've come home, my brother. Now I can start, no, joking. I don't tell them everything they've done wrong. But when people do, when they come and they say, David, how do I follow Jesus? David, I want to serve more. I'm like, whoa, yeah, I've been waiting for this moment. All of this teaching and all this prep and all of this doing is up to this moment, and I want to just share it. And so we ex Jesus is excited about sharing all of these things. He doesn't want to hold back. And so the first thing that we need to take away from here, very, very important, that the revelation of Jesus is the beginning of everything. It's more than we think. What do I mean? It, it's, Jesus is holding back everything else that we're going to read. He holds back everything else that he's going to say until Peter sees him as Jesus, as Christ. 
as the Messiah. Why? Because until we understand who Jesus really is, nothing else will make sense. You cannot understand, you cannot force yourself to read the Bible until you get it. You cannot come to, you, you've got to ask the Lord for a revelation of Jesus and for the people around you. You can't force your, 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 your I wouldn't say that, you can't force your friends and stuff to become Christians. You pray that they have a revelation of Jesus. Because if I could force someone to follow Jesus, then I wouldn't need Jesus, right? It's about the revelation of Jesus is the beginning. And so for us, first of all, you're saying, where am I going? How do I behave? How do I worship the Lord? What am I doing wrong? It's, it's do you understand who Jesus is? Is that clear in your heart? Have you maybe forgotten it? Have you maybe been distracted by things, finances, family, tiredness, the government, our next 500th mayor, whatever? Something has distracted you and you've lost sight on the revelation of Jesus. It doesn't mean you do nothing else, but it means go back to that every single morning. Go back to that every single time that you forget what's going on. Remind yourself that Jesus, you have to understand, you have to know who he is before you can start doing anything else that we're going to talk about. Following begins. Worship begins with knowing who Jesus is and what he brings. Because if we don't, we take advantage of Jesus, or we think Jesus is taking advantage of us. And you'll notice now, when we go on, Jesus is not just all talking about the dandelions and the, and the fairies. But this is what being with Jesus looks like. This is what loving Jesus, sitting with Jesus begins to look like. It's not a case of knowing a lot. It's not a case of feeling a lot. It's about sitting in a posture of saying, Jesus, you are Lord and King. You are the Messiah. You are the Savior of my life. And from this day on, I will follow you more than my way. I want to follow you because you have saved me. You've got to start there. That's what being with Jesus looks like. And once you know Jesus, look what, look what he brings. Look at the revelation brings. First of all, affirmation of identity. He says to Peter, Peter, you are the rock. He affirms us. When we understand who Jesus is, affirmation begins. Identity, we begin to understand who we really are. He says, the gates of hell will not prevail. When we understand the true revelation of Jesus, we can be bold and be confident that no evil is going to come at you. Not that you're not going to experience any suffering, not that you're going to experience evil, but it's not going to be able to take away from you. Nothing can come against you. The gates of hell will not prevail when you know who Jesus is. And he says, lastly, he says, I want to give you the keys of the kingdom. Now, when you get the keys of a house, it's, it's not your house, eh? No, it's your house. You become the owner of the house. I've never been given the keys to a house yet. I'm waiting, guys. But Jesus is saying, I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom. All authority and power 
to start to be working with Jesus and giving you the keys of the kingdom begins just with knowing who Jesus is. How do we receive it? How do we receive it? Well, Jesus says it there as well. He says, for flesh and blood, this has not been revealed to you, but my Father who is in heaven. It's actually so easy sometimes that that it becomes difficult. It's about not trying really hard, but it's about allowing God to come and reveal Jesus to you. The flesh and blood cannot do this. The revelation begins by allowing God to reveal Jesus to you. And so that's really, really, really important. And that's what that, the parable, the pearl of good price, in Matthew 13 is talking about. It's, it's the, the pearl is knowing who Jesus is. That's your pearl. And for the rest of your life, following Jesus is actually about not forgetting that you have a pearl in your hand or not losing it. It's saying this pearl was never, I never earned this pearl. All I did was I listened. Faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of God, Romans says. So it's about, it's about listening and saying, God, if you're there, Reveal Jesus to me. And boom, the pearl comes. Choops, that's it. It's, and that's what it says, right? And so it's about holding on this pearl, and for the rest of our life, in a very simple sense, saying, how do I not lose this pearl? How do I keep focused on Jesus and everything he brings me? And when I do that, all of the things that Jesus says begins to unravel. So I'm, I'm making it simple for us. It's, just, it's not an overcomplicated thing. It's about just allowing the pearl to come. Okay, then Jesus carries on, and he says, verse 21, from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. We don't like that. Suffer. And the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed on the third day and be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, for your hindrance to me. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Hectic. Peter, yo, went from the whole church is going to be built on him to becoming Satan in the matter of moments. Hectic, eh? How many of you would still like me if I called you a hindrance? Eh? It's harsh. It's really harsh. And we read this out of context. It's like, what are you saying? But I think why I'm, I was, I'm, I'm honing on the point of revelation is because when you can believe and you let that sink in, that there's this pearl that you've got to protect, that you've got to understand, it helps you understand suffering. You can understand the motive of Jesus when you understand how precious the revelation of Jesus is. Okay? Jesus says he must go. Suffering is not something that happens when we've done wrong mistakes. Suffering doesn't happen because we, we're doing something that is not right. Suffering happens because it's part of life and it's part of living. Not all suffering, but most suffering happens because it's part of life. And so Peter, like all of us, we, we accept the revelation of Jesus and we love it. We go, wow, I can't wait to receive the keys of the kingdom. 
and, and not allow the gates of hell to come against me. I can't wait to follow you, Jesus, wherever you go. And then we hear about suffering, and we want to get ahead. We go, Jesus, that'll never happen to you. That's not going to happen on my watch because I have the keys to the kingdom now. And Jesus is saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold it. You've missed it, Peter. You're now acting like Satan. Satan has come in, and that's what Satan does. Satan wants to take, wants to give you the kingdom without the cross. Satan wants to say, hey, you can have everything you need, like Adam and Eve with the tree. You can have all you need, and you don't have to suffer for it. And Jesus is adamant, and he's passionate about it. He's saying, whoa, Peter, you're acting like, you're a hindrance to me. You're like Satan, because you are not understanding what you are saying and doing. By not accepting suffering, things begin to get messed up. Why? Why? Suffering is an essential aspect to our lives. Suffering is an essential. What do I mean by that? First, let, let, let's, let's talk about this. Um, every single morning, Anne always wants me to make, well, she doesn't want me to, she has to make Milo herself. Okay, and so I've sit on the, ta- on the counter, and you've got to get the bottle, and she's got to spoon it, and so it goes everywhere, and, and then she puts the milk in, but she can't hold it properly, and it goes everywhere, and then the hot water, I can't burn it, so I'm trying to hold it with her, and then it overflows, and then she wants to stir, but she doesn't know how to stir, so it's just, and I'm trying, to, and there are days, like Sarah's away right now, so there's days when I'm just like, I can't actually wait, like it's not happening, my girl. And it's this mess going on. Blah, blah, blah. And then w- sometimes I will close it and shake it. If I shake it, it's over. Pfft, done. I don't want it. Leave it. Don't want it. Don't want it anymore. And then we have a massive fight, and I put it away, and I say, I'm never making you Milo ever, ever again. And then she stands there and says, sorry. And then I'm in a bit of a problem because she said sorry. And now do I give her or do I keep her? Blah, 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 blah. I don't know. And then I give it to her, and I say, okay, it's fine. Move on. And the next day it happens again parenting. But the point is, the point is, what I'm actually trying to do is I don't want her to suffer. I'm, I'm, trying, I'm, I'm trying to get her to learn that sometimes things are not going to work out the way that she wants it to go. And she wants it her way, and it's going to be right, but it's messy. And it's never going to get right if you do it all her way. So sometimes she needs to actually accept that I need to do things. And that causes her to feel sometimes weak or she's not doing it right or she d- she's not getting her way and so she begins to suffer, right? But, and so the point is, suffering is essential. Suffering is so essential because look at verse 23. Jesus says, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of man. When we want to limit suffering, what we're trying to do is we're trying to take everything into our own hands and we're not giving God the space to do anything for us. And so when you understand it, Jesus is saying, you don't understand, Peter, suffering is essential because what suffering does, I'm not talking about all suffering, we don't get in time to unpack every single part of suffering, but the suffering in, in terms of allowing God to be God and you to be man. And keeping that clear, meaning not conforming to this world, meaning 
suffering in the sense of these things I want to do, but I know they're not good for me, and I'm going to not allow them to happen. I'm not going to get involved in them because they're not going to help me on my my, my, my walk with Jesus. Not conforming. We can't do that. So so what, what are the ways that we try and get the kingdom without the cross? Here are just some for you to understand. What does trying to take away suffering, what does it look like in our lives? What effect does it have? First of all, we begin to crave the presence without the person. So when we don't want to suffer, we just want the feeling. Oh, experience. Wow, this is amazing. Hey? But we don't want the person. We don't want Jesus. That's trying to take away. We, 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 we lose we lose Jesus when we limit the, 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 the fact of suffering from our lives. We, when we believe a false grace message, God loves me so it's all right. I don't need to put effort in. I don't need to do any of these things because actually I don't really want to suffer because suffering's not really good because the kingdom is all about goodness. When we limit an effort of actually discipline and not conforming to the world, we lose sight of following Jesus. Here's another one. Uh, another way, the kingdom without the cross, put, um, seeing putting effort and discipline in the wrong place. Believing that Jesus despises our pain. When we remove, try to remove suffering from our lives, we see suffering as bad. So when we're in pain, we think, oh, pain is bad. Jesus can't be here. I need to remove the pain so I can get back to Jesus. We don't realize Jesus is in the pain. Something like an Italian now. Jesus is in the pain. He's as much in the pain as he is in, in the joy. And he actually some, he comes alive more in the pain than in the joy. Because that's actually the heart of what is going on in our life. Whoa! And if, G, if I don't think Jesus is in there, I'm taking away suffering. I'm not seeing suffering as part of it. I'm missing out on following Jesus. Does that make sense? Am I getting there? Believing that if I make a mistake, there's something wrong with me. We have these narratives in our mind. We think, oh, I can't do that right. I just must just will. I must change my, my mind to do these things. Because we have this idea that suffering is inherently wrong. Do we understand? And this is something big, so just stick with me for a sec here. Do we understand God doesn't only bless people who live with the kingdom and the cross. It limits us. What do I mean? Let me give you an example. Have you ever been to Sards on an afternoon when the sun's going down? Hey, if you haven't, come on. You better get out there. On Friday, Anne and I went home alone, so I took her out to get her energy out so she goes to sleep earlier. No, I'm joking. Just because we enjoy it and we love it and the sun's going down and beautiful. And every time I go there, and I see Charmaine, the guys are always there. With, uh, we, we see them often there. I always say, oh, we should do this more. Hey? You don't you do that. You see a sunrise, a sunset, and you're like, oh, man, why don't we do this more? What's wrong with us? It's because we don't count the cost. What do I mean? It, I mean, if we actually planned and we realized how long it's going to take and we took the effort of getting in the car every Friday afternoon and driving out there, we would experience that more. But because we don't count that cost, because we're so distracted by things going on in the world, because there's other things going on, and because we're tired and I don't want to, it's so far away, we don't count the cost, we don't experience it. This is, this is what I'm saying. When we don't count the cost, 
it doesn't mean that God's going, oh, that, that person's kind of the cost, he gets more. That person's not, he doesn't. We, we, we don't. We lose out. Like, that God's presence, that him, following him is like sods on a Sunday afternoon, watching the sun go down. Not Sunday afternoon, you should be here at church, actually, a Friday afternoon. That's God's experience. And when we don't count the cost, it's not that God punishes us. We just don't get in. We don't experience it. When we don't count the cost, we don't experience the fullness of God. And that's, that's been a, a thing in my mind always. I think, oh, God is not, he's not, he's going to punish me because I haven't counted the cost properly. No, it's I that miss out when I don't balance not conforming to the world and being transformed by the Lord. Finally, let's end this off. Um, I'm getting carried away. Verse 24, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses life for my sake will find it. Jesus has explained revelation and he's had this encounter with Jesus, with Peter, and he says, this is it. Peter, you've got it. Now, you can, now you've got this thing. And then he has another encounter. He says, Peter, you need to remember, don't conform to yourself. Don't conform to the world. Remember, focus on me, suffering. And then he sums it up in a beautiful, beautiful little package. We love packages, eh? A little DHL package from Take A Lot or something like that where we, we, we understand what does it mean. Jesus sums it up before he goes to the cross. This is what it looks like to worship him. Deny, he says, wait, anyone for all of us who wants to come after me, follow me, worship, anyone, any of you want to come after me, want to worship, want to follow Jesus, this is what we do. After all of these examples, he sums it up. Number one, deny yourself. That's an ugly word. We don't like that. Self-denial. Ish. We, have, we don't understand it. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. He sums it up. Denying yourself is not removing all the nice things in my life so that I become a monk. No. Denying yourself is saying, Jesus, the, your revelation is way more powerful than me. And I'm going to let go of my ambitions. I'm going to let go of what I want to do with my life. And I'm going to start serving what you want to do. That's self-denial. It's saying, Jesus, you are more than me. And I'm going to lay down my life that I can serve you. Denying yourself is not giving up all the good things. Denying yourself is learning to receive from Jesus. He's saying, whoever wants to be my disciple must receive me, not deny yourself. We get confused. Receive me. Let go of yourself and receive me. Take up their cross. Accept suffering. Accept that there are going to be times where things are not going to make sense. We are all going to live in the tension of this beautiful kingdom and this terrible world. And it's going to merge always. And you're going to think, what is going on here? And you, you accept it. Be part of it. Don't let it distract you. Don't allow that the world to conform you, to distract you into finding another thing to get you to become a better person. Just stay. Accept the suffering. 
take up your cross. In those days, taking up your cross was you, you take up your wooden beam and you walk through the people and they spit on you and they mock at you and they shout at you. And he's saying, guys, accept that you're gonna be different to the world. Accept that you're always gonna walk around and you're always gonna feel just off. You're gonna go to bras and you're gonna go to people's houses and you're gonna, you're gonna go to birthday parties and it's always gonna feel, something's gonna feel a bit off because you're not living the world's standards anymore. You're living Jesus' standards. So you're going to take, that cross is going to go with you. If you do that, you'll stay focused on Jesus. You won't get distracted by yourself. You won't, con- you won't, you'll, 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 you won't conform. And then finally he says, begin to do it. Follow me. In the one hand, I'm the revelation of Jesus. In the other hand, I'm not going to allow myself to get in the way, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to begin to follow him. I'm going to keep it simple. I'm going to follow him in that. And then transformation becomes. Transformation begins to happen as we begin to walk out the simple dynamic of how do I not allow myself to get in the way and how do I allow Jesus to keep transforming me? Oh. Let's close our eyes. And uh, we are in, in, in the end. And I, I just want to... I want you to just imagine as we just minister, as a, allow the Lord just to minister to you. I want you just to imagine what a life of denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following Jesus would look like in the true sense. And I mean, and this is what worship is. In the vineyard, it's intimate, vulnerable, presence-focused, no hype. And we do all that when we live out this model of how Jesus tells us to live. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. What would that look like? Dallas Willard says, learning to live in a constant state of awareness of and connection to the Holy Spirit. That's what a life of denying yourself, taking up your cross and following Jesus it's a constant state of connection to his presence. It looks like the joy of not having to try and find the right thing to do all the time, but to be settled in knowing I'm denying myself, I'm taking up my cross, I'm following you. That's what I'm going to do. And from there, I'm going to begin to make decisions. The joy of knowing I have to find the next secret. It's my old self dying more and more and this new self coming alive. Wouldn't we love that? Wouldn't you love that? The things... For some of us today, those are the things, the things that just keep coming back over and over and over again. We cannot get rid of it. So we we, we focus on Jesus and his revelation. We accept that we will stay in this place, suffering. We're going to follow you. That old self begins to die and that new self begins to come alive. Jesus. I think overall, 
the message, the message of the Lord Jesus that he wants to tell Peter, the disciples, us as he was facing the cross. He's saying, guys, guys, it's a life, it's a life of receiving. It's at the core, it's a life of receiving. When you see Jesus, you receive him. When you're suffering, you receive from him. When you follow, you're receiving as you follow. It's a life of receiving from the king. It's not a man, strong, put on my shoulders, I need to do it myself. But it's a laying my life, it's surrendering my life to receive. Jesus, we here for you. We long for your presence, Lord. We long for more of you. wait just allow the Lord space to just speak feel what I want us to do. We're gonna we're gonna sing the song that, that Tace is, is is playing in the background. And while we do that, I, I really sense that the Lord the Lord wants to meet people today in some specific areas. And for the, f- the first one, I feel like, and this is for, for me. We really battle to receive. We battle to, to accept, to, to ask. We love to give. We love to help. We really battle to receive. And the Lord wants to, He wants to show you today that the way to receive, the best way to receive is to allow Him to pour out His presence, to show you that it comes without you trying. And those are the first, first people that we want to call out today as, as, we, as we're singing, that if that's you, I'd, I'd love you in a, in, a, in a moment to come to the front, that we can pray for you, that we can bless, that the Lord has a, a moment set to just pour out His presence upon you, to give you the gift of receiving, to ask, and it's an attitude of stepping out and saying, Lord, I'm here, I want to, I want to receive, I, want, I, I need a new fresh revelation of you. That's the second one. If you feel you don't know Jesus, you've never had this revelation of Jesus, I'd love you to come. Come and we'd love to lead you in a prayer. Another one, if, you, if you're just distracted by, you've been so distracted, so caught up in the world, and you, you feel like you've lost sight, the taste of who Jesus is in your life, and you need a fresh, just and filling just to do this, that you want to deny yourself, you want to lay your life down again and just allow Him to come and fill you, 
Won't we stand? And we're going to sing. And, and if those apply to you, I would love you to come out. And people will gather around you and just bless what they're doing. We're just going to sing a song as we end. Amen. have a picture of this jar of clay that's been broken open to release the incense. That's a symbol of suffering being broken before the Lord. But the result is incense that's being released. The Bible says that Jesus was a man of sorrow, well acquainted with grief. suffer, but suffer with purpose because we are more of Jesus. And if that's the cost, I'll walk there because I get more of Jesus. And it's really in the place of brokenness that you know Him the most intimate. Just chatting to Diane about that. So we drink of you, Lord, and we trust you. Just sing that one more time and allow opportunity for you to connect with the Lord and then we'll break for tea and coffee and connection time. Thank you. 